Okay, it's recording. Right, um, so our first official episode. It's been a while. How are you doing, Ricardo? Recently, it's been a while. Um. Oh, I I got a lot to say. Like I've been、mm-hmm. dating this one girl who is Albanian. Well, there's a lot of stuff going on, and、uh, I feel like it is ha it has been very official dating now. Like,、oh, really?、Uh, yeah, I think I think. Well, well, basically, just you know, I I'm not being single at this moment, but I'm、yeah. not sure. How、You're not single anymore, so it's a、uh, like a official relationship already.、Uh, I wouldn't say official relationship, but so far so good. That's my、mm-hmm. my comment. Yeah. So far so good. Yeah. yeah how that, about you? That, that, like, that's all you need. That's all you need in relationship. It's all you need. So far so good, and move forward. <laughs> um. Well, for me, I've been pretty much just busy with work. I say, and、um, starting. Applying to next year's jobs and stuff, so editing、oh, my、yeah. CVs. Next year's job, you know, gonna gonna be graduate job now, not not internship anymore. Feels like yeah, really yeah. adult. Yeah, yeah. Actually, speaking of that, are you thinking about、uh, applying for your master's degree? Yeah, master's degree. Um,、mm-hmm. I mean, I, I will. I definitely will do because because I'm not gonna like put all the baskets in. Oh,、uh, sorry. Not put all basket, put all eggs in one basket. <laughs> Not put all, all baskets in one egg. That's gonna be、yeah. hilarious. <laughs> that would, that would be uh, yeah. Uh, so I'm not just gonna be like, oh, I'm gonna definitely gonna be working.、I'm、still gonna try to you know apply to masters. Um, in case didn't find a good job that I really want to do, so I have a backup. Um, yeah. So currently thinking about applying to lots of um. I think I'm gonna apply to three schools. And、um, which some of them requires me to do another test, GRE、oh, yeah. test, GMAT or GRE, yeah, GRE GMAT test.、Mm-hmm. I, I thought I thought I was done with the standardized test, but nope, probably nope. gonna prepare for、You're、that. Far from that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, more more to come, more to come, more to come. But lucky thing is that I don't need to do English test anymore, which is very good. <laughs> <laughs> English test. <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. No more, no more English test. The end of my English test, which is uh, which I really enjoy. Um, so hilarious, yeah, English test. Yeah, but pretty much busy with work and um, yeah, and also hunting my place, my flat for next year. Um, is actually very hilarious. Um,、uh, so I went, I went for flat viewing today. I went to see two flats. Ah.、Oh, Yeah, I want. I want to see two flats. Um, please don't tell my boss, but I got off at three p.m. So I'm supposed to get off at six p.m. But yeah, and I, I didn't have I didn't have any meeting after three. So yeah, so I was so I I at three I went to Paddington, and、oh, I went to see. Is that South London? Oh no, wait, West London. West,、right? West London,、All、West、right. London. It's like it's like Paddington, but like South part of Paddington, so very close、uh-huh. to. Mayfair, Green Park, so those kind of areas. Um, the reason why I went there is it's actually very, it's it's not it's not close to our uni at all. It's not close. It's like three yeah, or four. Yeah, I was about to say, are you gonna? Yeah, say- yeah. Say it's it's like four stops on the tube. Uh, the reason why I do that because around our uni, uh, there's Covent Garden, just Chancery Lane, and、uh, there's Farringdon, and I was looking for around like around my budget, uh, but I can't. You know, I can't find a proper flat、uh, that's with reasonable price, but also reasonable quality within my budget range. So I was like,、uh, and my budget isn't low at all, like by all means. So it was like, why not look at the West, since it's like relatively high budget.、Um, probably there's going to be more nice properties in the West. So I look around、uh, Green Park and Kensington, and、um, the one in Paddington really drew my attention. It's really big and very very modern. And、uh, and also since it's close to Paddington, I can go to Oxford very easily. Because、um, I have tons of friends in Oxford,、I、go there. It's pretty much my second home in England. Yeah, and so I went through that one. It's actually very interesting. So I tried to arrange these kind of bloody viewings for、mm-hmm. for 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 like two weeks already, and it's such a different experiences compared with China. Because、uh, in my、uh, in my memory in China, 
when you want to try to arrange a flat viewing or try to contact the real estate agents, they are the ones that's always so proactive. It's like, oh my God, you want this flat? I recommend that flat to you as well. I got this flat. But whereas it's totally a different case in the UK, is that you have to be the one to actually, you know, talk to the agent. I'm um, interested in this so property. You've got to be more active. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was the one that I'm checking up on my agent. Is like, oh, hello, is there any updates and any progress on, on that front, stuff like that. So I was the one that actually pushing it. And uh, yeah, it's, it's just totally different. And I went to see a different property this afternoon uh, around Holborn. And uh, oh. it's very really nice. It, yeah. So so it's like walking distance to our uni. Yeah. Um, very, very nice. That place might be a bit like, say, uh, too noisy, you know, just based on my own experience. Like, yes, noise. yes. Yes, that was my concern as well. That was my concern. Yeah. Is that this place gonna be too noisy? And um, I don't know. It, it takes a while to um, walk to uh, the west, and uh, and also there isn't like a really nice supermarket around. I have to walk to go to a nice supermarket stuff like that. But actually, the but actually the flat itself it's within uh, a neighborhood ish kind of area. So, uh, and you have to walk into the neighborhood and then go into the flat. So it's yeah. like actually very discreet. So it's, it's not noisy at all. And, um, and this flat has a lift directly from the ground floor to the living room. Wow. That <laughs> so it's like so... kind of, yeah. So it's kind of like, like it kind of living like the in the film is like you know the yeah film like, is like actually it doesn't sound like London at all like it doesn't sound, it sounds like New York or something right yeah, so yeah. you have a, you have a lift to your living room and I I oh my god I love this place it's uh it has it's uh it has two floors and two bedrooms on the on the ground floor and two bedrooms on the first floor um and uh and it's all very clean very nice it has a terrace uh, I can do barbecues there. And I, I love gardening and some like plants and stuff. Can probably have a proper um, plant area there as well. And uh, and also um, and also the reason and also the, in, in the kitchen, there's a dedicated wine cooler. Wow! To, really? yeah, to put your wine there. Yeah, dedicated wait, wait. wine area. Wait, yeah. sorry, but uh, is the kitchen like a shared one or it's more like... No, it's 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 private. It's private. Oh, right. All right. Oh, so you were saying it was a, uh, it's a flat. Like, um, uh, yeah, it's a flat in the building. Three bedroom. Uh, no, oh, like, three person flat I mean, I mean, shared. I mean, I mean, shared within with my flatmates who I know, you know, so. All right. Yeah. Oh, so they're all the, you, they're also from our union. Flatmates. They're also from our uni. Yeah, they they were my students back in the old days. Um, yeah, so absolutely enjoyed the flat. And uh, guess what? The landlord mm -hmm. is from Shanghai, so we had a very decent and like no, I'm not gonna say decent at all. Uh, it's uh, a <laughs> we had a very pleasant uh, conversation with the landlord in Shanghainese because I don't really speak it. I can't understand oh what you're talking about, but and I can like um probably reply in a very broken one, but it was it's it was very decent. Like he was like we're from uh, in China, it was like Shanghai, always like it's like anything. And then oh, and then the conversation oh just like you, you know you know you know the distance, you know the distance just goes like way sooner. And and the lender is like, Can I add a WeChat please? Oh, and right so after sweet. that, and then after that, you, you know that it's pretty much like that's a dumb deal, you know, <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, um, my gosh. But 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 also the experience is still very shocking to me because the landlord was like, uh, um, we already received two or three offers, and uh, the previous uh, tenant uh, he used to work, um, he, he actually still works at uh, Goldman Sachs, and um, the um, other people like came to view they're also working finance. I was like, huh. The finance people have the same taste for flats. Mm -hmm. It's like it's, it's like just like just so competitive. It's like you have to make offers to a flat, and I did, and the landlord's gonna compare different offers, and and then choose one offer to accept in the end. Just like the the renting experience is just so different, and I would even say competitive here. I guess the point that yeah. I guess that's why you were saying it's more active here. Like you have to 
really search for the rooms rather than you know being caught by the agents regarding yeah, the yeah. flats because i think the, the the you know the general uh you know housing supply in london is very limited that's why yeah. like people really need to find the optimal one for themselves yeah uh well that's that's absolutely amazing i would say like honestly i really yeah. really appreciate such experience with you know like yeah. very coincidental experience like having to yeah we, to we, we had we had really really nice conversation yeah like, i can imagine she the landlord she used to teach medicine at oxford oh, oh it's it's a it's a woman oh yeah she Lovely. she she used to she used to teach medicine at oxford 20 years ago and we just had like a just really nice conversation about oxford as well because um I call Oxford my home as well. It's like my second most visited place in England. And um, it's just like sometimes like like your life, the bits and bobs, your past yeah. journeys, all the dots get connected. Yeah, and, exactly. And when you see someone who had similar experiences and you shared experiences, the serendipity of it really makes a difference. I really enjoy those kind of uh, accidental happiness in our lives. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like I was about and, to say uh, like. Yeah, because yeah, like what you experienced really reminded me what uh, happened recently at um, British Red Cross. Uh, as you mm -hmm. as you know, uh, I was uh, I'm working for them right now, and yeah. uh, I happened to meet people uh, across different nations and with different languages. And um, yeah, I, I do realize that that's what connects us together. You know, mm -hmm. especially in the middle of this pandemic, I I really really appreciate such um you know experience where i can find any sort of a correlation in my own life and yeah. really make it the best out of uh, everything yeah so how's the job so far what kind of uh, stuff do you uh, do? i think um the job itself doesn't yeah. uh involve any you know complicated um issues mm -hmm. um rather it's more about understanding what the people really need over there so basically we are helping the people um, who are called asylum seeker. So technically yeah. speaking, asylum seeker would be identified as someone who got rejected uh, from home office when they're applying for refugee status. Like, you know, we were joking about that, like, you know, applying for refugee status. But, you know, when it really comes to that situation, you wouldn't get any sort of su support from the, you know, UK government or, uh, any sort of like um, um, uh, like stable um, social status in general, like you can't apply for council halls. And that would mm -hmm. really devastate people in a way that first, they don't have in a stable living standard. They have to like find places that, that's why most of them are actually homeless. And uh, um, uh, British Red Cross kind of serve as a channel like to connect these people. And mm -hmm. uh, we form our own community where uh, all the asylum seekers come here and we will organize activities. We will prepare the food parcel for them and on a weekly basis, I would say. And, uh, and, and also we, we do meet uh, people with extreme conditions, say either physical or mental health. So mm -hmm. that's why we need our casework team to provide the essential help to, the, uh, to those service users. And um, yeah, in general, I would say it really um, evokes me in, in thinking more about how to yeah. solve um, conflicts, like either re uh, regionally or nationally, because, you know, taking care of these asylum seekers is more like you, you, you are trying to taking care of the consequence of some uh, ongoing issues. But uh, I think that's not enough because if we just do that, we are not necessarily tackling the very um, basic problem, which can be, you know, ongoing wars like anywhere or say uh, racial discrimination or gender inequalities. I think these are very, very um, key issues here. We, uh, I, I hope myself can, you know, join a bigger organization and try to um, contribute more to these uh, events. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, I I actually think there's a there's a massive problem whether right now the refugee systems and or the asylum seeker status because um, um, as far as I know and uh, I think it's only applied to the UK maybe it's a different case for other European countries but to be a refugee uh, to apply for the refugee status or be a uh, asylum seeker you have to be physically in the UK to do yeah. that. So how to come into the UK legally or illegally that imposes a massive challenge logistically and also I, I, I would imagine all those refugee seekers they probably can't get like a I don't know a, like a tourist visa or like other kind of visa to come to the UK legally so they will have to find a way to come into the UK illegally um, so on the way to the UK, when they cross the channel or whatever, that imposes great logistical challenges. And I think we, I think we're going very deep here, but I think the system requires some revamping. Indeed, that, indeed, I, 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 that's very relatable. Yeah. In a sense, I actually happen to meet a lot of people who came to the UK. You know illegally like not necessarily illegally but they stay here longer than they should you know like then the visa allowed yeah have yeah. the tourism visa and uh, that's definitely not valid enough for staying say years like usually yeah. it's just for months yeah that's definitely a very critical point i think and uh, yeah um well if we're gonna dig deeper this conversation might you know just yeah wander this, this conversation can get very political and yes, uh, indeed, deep indeed. and which i think we're not educated enough to do that yeah but, it, it, absolutely i think i'm yeah I definitely can't really yeah um, but maybe like one day one day after after your your, your work at british red cross um one day you will be you'll have enough insights um to to offer on that on the topic but but yeah but because like my impression of the current system is that your 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 legal refugee status started with the illegal entry. That's just ludicrous to me. It's ridiculous, and you have to find a way to end up in country somehow, and then, you know, and 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 to to end up the country legally to begin with. That shuts the that shuts the door to a lot of people who can't I don't know who can't afford of uh, um to apply for the visa because it's not cheap. It's like uh, um seventy or eighty pounds to apply for the visa. And have to apply, and you have to have like bank um, transcripts and all this stuff. It's it's great hurdle. So, so most of them come here illegally first, and then apply for refugee. Um, that system is problematic. Um, I believe, yeah. But let's move on to something that's less sad. <laughs> oh, I, I'm I'm not sure if I would call it less sad, but oh, obviously, yeah. The the topic we're prepared only... for today, yeah. It's yeah. a, it's a, it's a thing. It's a, it's experience that we share. It's experience that we share in the past month or so. So we're going to talk about COVID um, in this podcast because uh, I'm afraid that uh, if we don't talk about it right now, um, as time goes on, people is going to start just like get tired of it and just get used to it. Yeah. So long story short, uh, we both got COVID in some sort form in the past month and I think it's a very good chance uh, to give the people opportunity uh, to hear about experiences about people who actually got COVID because um, uh, maybe it's a different case um, here in the in, in other communities but I believe in the Chinese or the or the Eastern Asian community in general and it's it's relatively rare uh, very few people have um, know people personally, or like know people like closely um, who had experiences with COVID, and I think um, I think maybe it's a less case uh, in the Western societies, but in in the Chinese and Eastern Asian society, I think there's a general fear for COVID, even irrational fear towards COVID, and I believe. Fear is something that originates only in a lot of cases originates from 
uncertainties and also ignorance towards a certain matter. So when you don't know something, you fear it. So I believe um, it's, it's um, our conversation by no means is uh, letting people like trying to tell us that uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a okay disease, you can, you can be reckless. By no means we tell people to be reckless. We should still follow the government guideline and uh, be careful. But we're just trying to share our experiences, how we felt about it and giving people knowledge um, about this disease. And perhaps um, when you unfortunately have it or when your friends have it, you can say that, oh, now I know more about the, the disease. Because I believe that all the government tell us is how we prevent on getting it. Um, when, we, when you have that symptom, go get tests. But I don't believe that the government or anyone or any organization is teaching us enough, enough about what, what it actually feels like and um, what to do when you have it. Yeah, yeah, I think you made a very good point. Um, here, we're trying to make people more informed rather than help them make the decision. Being informed so you can be certain about your actions. Uh, there's one thing I really like um, about you know, the COVID experience here. I mean, well, I definitely didn't enjoy COVID, but... <laughs> be careful with your, your, your toys all wet here. So. Yeah. I mean, I really appreciate the fact that I get to test for myself using the home kit, yeah. the lateral flow test, because mm. that's is a way that I'm certain about specific situation where I can become responsible for my own behaviors. So I can know how, I how I'm supposed to protect others using these very simple tools. And uh, I was joking about COVID because um, uh, like for the past one year and a half, and I, I, I almost asked every friend of mine about, oh, do you know anyone, you know, in your life, friend zone, you know, unluckily caught COVID? Like, how did that experience? Um, the answer are, are normally no, because they don't really have a direct connection with someone who got COVID. Like, it either be the case that the friends of friends got COVID. So, you know, that impression might not, might not as strong as, you know, the first friend. So it can get it confused that, wow, what COVID be? So I was yeah. very, very confused about the say basic symptoms because I heard from the NHS all the time, oh, you might develop a fever, you might have yeah. constant coughing and no, no lost sense of smelling or taste, which is anosmia. But um, when it comes to the point that I got COVID, uh, I find a bit relieved that, oh, now I can finally use myself as a sample to analyze how COVID developed throughout the period of time. Then I start recording all my symptoms. Well, until now, I have to say, I still don't know how I caught it. I have been very cautious all the time. Either, like One is to protect myself. Another is just trying to make sure the people around me are safe. But anyways, um, the general experience has been pretty much, uh, you know, diary um, style uh, record. So I have been yeah. putting everything related to my symptoms in that small note, like starting from the day one till the end of the quarantine, because basically I've been doing this all myself by, you know, reporting to the NHS, because I think what I did was pretty much very, uh, you know, self-conscious, like vol very voluntary behavior rather than you know, being told by someone, you should do this. Uh, that's something I have to address that uh, getting COVID and uh, not going out and uh, understand how important it is to stop the spread is very much of a, you know, societal virtue where you, you are being yeah. very altruistic and responsible. So I would really want to say thank you to those who have been following the rules and who have been doing their best to protect people around us. Um, mm. But at the same time, regarding COVID, like let's be um, you know, realistic. I think, uh, here is a note, I can actually read it off for you guys. Yeah. So you can 
get the very real impression on what really happens. Um, so let me let me see. Okay, I had this. Okay, quarantine. On a scale of one to ten, one meaning asymptomatic, ten, mm -hmm. well, you know, severe symptoms. Yeah. And day one, I, well, actually, for every day, I've been recording the food I've been eating and the symptoms. So for day one, the symptoms like start with the normal one: a nose smear, sneezing, coughing, and burning throat and runny nose. And uh, my heart rate is rising a bit. So oh, wasn't that a serious for you? <laughs> yes, like you know, I, I've been doing the uh, monitoring on my heart rate because I knew that Aye. if you usually like say catch a cold or you got a fever, yeah. your heart rate will rise a bit in, in either like say resting heart rate or active heart rate. Like say yeah. when you go to sleep, your heart rate will pump harder because mm -hmm. it won't make sure your blood is circulating around your body to provide enough oxygen to your um you know your brain i guess otherwise our red cross guy talking about yeah, medicine I... here <laughs> yes, anyways yeah. throughout the whole quarantine time the situation is getting better on the fourth day first my temperature is dropping a bit but i'm not sure if there's something wrong with my thermometer like uh, i wouldn't say it's strictly correct but regarding the other symptoms like say you know heart rate sweating and um, runny nose like it's all gone so the only thing left is probably anosmia which is quite serious i would say so until the end of the quarantine it has been always like you know something i can't like i can't smell anything like i start using my perfume as a you know testing tool yeah. for me to recognize <laughs> my, my my smelling ability i would say like i really want to call it ability right now because a yeah, serious this ability happened to me and yeah. um, now it has been like uh, two weeks away from my uh you know last quarantine day so my smelling is actually going back normal uh gradually i would say but not at the peak uh you know so yeah. It has been quite difficult for me to really uh, have a very active smelling um, sense rather than, you know, um, like, like I would say my smelling has been absolutely passive. I have yeah. to inhale very strongly to know what yeah. it is. Yeah. But on the other hand, I would say sports, eating, resting, studying, these are all fine, but it, it might be, you know, quite um, audacious just to conclude that it has no impact on my body. Like, I mean, COVID, yeah. because I didn't do a very thorough study on it. It might have some impact on my brain. But honestly, I also think about the effect of quarantine. Like people never realize how, yeah. you know, self-isolation might have the strong impact on both physical and mental health. I feel like right now, if you're saying, are you more scared of COVID or, you know, the, the isolation, the isolation is definitely yeah. the yeah. top on the top of the list. I would say, I want to meet my friend. I want to talk to more people. I want to do exercise. That's what I yeah. really wanted to do as a normal person. COVID, yeah. you know, it does have some impact on me, but at my current age and, uh, I, I wouldn't say it, it, it can be that severe that I would, you know, experience some um, difficulties in, in, in living. So it's really something I, I wish people can think about uh, or say they can make a comparison between uh, having an isolated life and uh, ha uh, being severely um, impacted by COVID. Because um, I think, you know, when you really see the um, ideas of doing quarantine, it's really an action of you being responsible. So if I knew I would be very responsible to the society, I would say yeah. quarantine is much, very much something um, unnecessary because if everyone say I go anywhere with my hand sanitizer, with my mask, yeah. then COVID wouldn't really be a big issue. 
So yeah. yeah, that's that's probably my key takeaway from this entire experience. It it was not good to be honest, not not good at all. Uh, I had issues on my you know physical strength, on my mental health. But uh, I'm I wouldn't say oh I'm so scared of COVID. Yeah. On the other I think, hand, I, I think it taught me a lot about you know how we really should connect with others while protecting uh, us, um, protecting ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. When I when I got it, my, all my friends were like, "Oh, oh my God, you're the first person that I know personally." Yeah. Got it as well. So I think it really it it really matters the awareness and、um, the, co- the the conversation we're having right now. I think is really important because that it's it's somewhat, especially in in the Eastern societies, having COVID is. Some sort of being like being treated as a taboo, like if you have it, it means like you're having some sort of problem, and you never openly talk about the experiences and whatever. So and the awareness never get gets raised. So I think I think that's that, that's really important, and also comes comes back to the、uh, the isolation and and something. So there's another outbreak in China, right? So from Nanjing to all the different、oh, cities. Oh yeah, actually the cases、yeah. are rising right now. I think I think there's seventy cases a day or something, seventy、mm. or thirty, forty, whatever. It's double digit, and it's different provinces as well. And so what China is doing at the moment, because、uh, because of self isolation, everything. I was calling my mom every day, and she works at、um, medicine. So. So she she can give me the、uh, like the first hand front end、um, information about this kind of stuff.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what China is doing right now is that if you have a case, and、uh, if you have a, like a confirmed case, and the whole bloody province is not allowed to travel to other provinces, and you and you travel from other provinces that has a confirmed cases, you have to do a quarantine, even if domestic travel. So. Oh oh um. Let me get it straight. So you mean now the quarantine thing doesn't happen to individual? It's like a community quarantine. Yeah, I think so. so. I think so. Yeah, they, like like if you have a confirmed case, um, so the neighborhood can, I, I, idea, it's it's not it's not like here in the UK, like it's individual houses and the houses for a community.、Right? I think the whole、mm-hmm. community is gonna go into quarantine and some and some sorts of stuff like that. Wow, and, that sounds pretty harsh. And my mom, and my mom,、uh, started、um, saying as a as a、uh, people who work in the financial, uh, not financial. Oh my god, medicine. <laughs> Your mind is definitely filled with work. <laughs>、okay. My mind is filled with work. Yeah. Um, in the medicine. Uh, so it's like at this point, if you have one case and you do the testing for the whole city. Or like do quarantine for the whole community, the cost of it, psychologically and financially, probably gonna way outweigh any sort of benefits that's gonna bring. And the reason being, most of those people are double jabbed. They're both at the vaccines. So even if they get ill, it's gonna be not serious ill. And they're not going to be hospitalized, just just like us. Just going to be running nose or whatever for several days. Yeah, indeed. And and also,、um, because of the societal systems, and、um, because of the political systems, different in Europe, different in America, it's impossible for our society, the UK society, the EU society, and the US society, to reach COVID zero. It's not possible for us to do that, and、um, and if it's not possible for the whole world to reach COVID zero, it's meaningless for China to reach COVID zero. Because one day it's going to come back, and are you going to do the? Because I think for Wuhan, do eleven million people? Is that I, th- I think the number is higher. Correct me if I'm wrong.、Mm. Like millions and millions are testing. The money put into it, the inconvenience which can translate into financial and economic impact. Um, how much uh real impact it's gonna it's gonna put on on、um, public health 
by doing those kind of massive testing, massive quarantines. Um, so, so I really believe that we should look at the implied impact and also the implied um, consequences of isolation and lockdown, yeah. psychologically, financially, economically. Um, I think, I think, I think it's it's also comes back to heuristics and impressions. I'm always a anti-heuristics guy. I believe heuristics is the biggest gift to humanity, but also the biggest threat to humanity. Because um, we always think with rule of thumbs. We always think with our mental shortcuts, right? Um, last year, uh, 2020, uh, March, COVID was very deadly. Our medical system is a different place. The antibody we have in our population is at a different place. The amount of uh, awareness and readiness of all the um, hospitals and the medical system in all different countries was at a totally different place. And people's awareness of it is also at a different place. So we shouldn't treat surges or like a spike in 2021 as the same surge back in 2020. And I believe that um, in China, or at least the trend of it is treating the surge in 2021, the same thing as 2020, whereas all the awareness, all the vaccines, and also hospitals knowledge on the disease is at totally different places. So our treatment and our responses to disease should evolve from the public policies and also, I believe, economic point of view. And uh, I think Singapore um, government very soon they're gonna drop and they're gonna stop counting the number of new cases they get. Oh really? Uh, if you, yeah, if you get it, you just get it. If you don't get hospitalized, it's fine. They're not gonna they're not gonna publish the new number of new cases. Um, but but since it's a public podcast, I should double check with the fact. Oh. But I checked with my Singapore uh, Singaporean colleague this morning, and she said it's it's correct. And uh, it's, they 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 are still public cases like right now, but it's a plan. They're planning to push forward that. So they're not they they are not focusing on new cases anymore. They're switching to hospitalization and death rates. So, and. Uh, not everyone has the time, not everyone has the energy to think about uh, the rationale and the correlation uh, or the reverse causality between all this kind of uh, hospitalization, death rate and case rates. They're just going to look at, yes, uh, for example, indeed. in the UK, the very scary 20,000 cases a day. They're going to only see that 20,000 and maybe increasing to 25,000 or whatever every day for the UK. But they fail to see what's behind it. Yeah. People's that the the immunization, the vaccine, hospitalization. I think you made a very good point about uh, any sort of like statistical inference. It is not something you know easy to promote in your general public, like say to the citizens, because everyone doesn't have um, same education level. So it would be very hard to really. Um, to, to induce such uh, conscious consciousness in their own thinking um, behavior. So rather than doing such thing, like say uh, providing like daily cases or also, but well, definitely that's a good thing to do. But at the same time, I wish uh, any government in general would help the citizens with a more informed, um, you know, uh, idea on what COVID really is and its general impact. Because I still feel like a lot of people around me have like different perceptions about COVID. Like, yeah. you know, different perceptions, meaning the health system didn't really like, or say in general, the, the, the health policy didn't really inform people what COVID is. Like if say you're from somewhere else in the Asia and uh, I'm yeah. from somewhere else in Latin America. And when yeah. we discuss about COVID, you feel COVID might be more it's two different diseases, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you sometimes you feel like it's two different things. Like, uh, yeah. Sometimes you, you, you feel like it's equivalent to H, HIV, like which is 
much more deadly than COVID, I would say. Like, yep. say, like it applies yeah. to all age groups. If you're 20, you've got HIV, you need to take pills throughout your whole life to lower down the CD4 level. If you're 80, you still need to yeah. take pills. Yeah. So, so basically, sometimes I just feel like there's a very much problem in, you know, having an updated information on COVID. Like, and then it, it creates a, you know, stereotype or stigma in understanding how we should respond to, you know, cases, right, to these problems. And, and indeed, I think um, one particular issue regarding what China is doing right now, uh, I think it's relatable to um, their health system, like to our health system. I think our health system definitely has a very widely distributed um, you know, network. But at the same time, we, we need to also think about the uh, inequality being distributed, like the yeah. gap between wealth, uh, between the rich and poor. So, so we may never think about, say, if we just uh, have a very uh, loose um, control over COVID and those who are poor, or say they don't have access to the health system, they might, um, you know, be the most vulnerable people in the entire country. And yeah. I think what they're doing it, indeed is good for these group of people. But at the same time, I think we need to promote more, um, I wouldn't say healthy or unhealthy, but it's more like informed uh, decision on what COVID is. Like we need yeah. to explore more about how the variant, you know, evolved and how the vaccine being developed and how we should know if the vaccine works in certain ways. Yeah. If the citizens have the in informed decision being made based on these things, I think they, are, can, they can be more confident about their own behaviors and they can be more uh, responsible for others. That's, I, yeah, I, that's what I think. Yeah, I think, I think, I think all media and uh, or governments um, should at least have the ability to inform what is it and what does it do so for example what is COVID and for vaccine what does it do and allow citizens to make informed choices or informed interpretations by themselves um, it's the ideal situation uh, in a very liberal society. However, that raises a lot of issues. For example, people with different experiences, different education levels, different kind of religious beliefs and being vegetarian or non-vegetarians, they are gonna make vastly different choices. And sometimes in the interest of public health, some interest of the collective well-being, you have to enforce something, for example, um, um, there are certain religions believe they believe that they can't take COVID vaccine because it's something mm -hmm. unnatural. It's yeah. against their religious code to take the um, vaccine, or people being vegan, um, or sometimes very extremist vegans that believe that it's something artificial or it's something I don't know. They can't they, they can't take the vaccine. People with different beliefs between certain social subgroups or or people with different education background, who people who um, left education very early in their lives, uh, don't have enough biological or uh, social knowledge to know more about the vaccine. They might choose to not take the vaccine. And when there's a certain level of people and with their freedom to interpret a certain knowledge, and we, we, we're not gonna, and the government can't achieve anything with that. So I think, that's the right direction, mm -hmm. but in the right direction, giving people the liberty, giving people, um, we're only informed people and not giving the enough guideline. The government can't achieve anything. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a very interesting paradox in, in, in politics uh, that uh, we're supposed to do, um, can't deliver the um, wanted results. Um, yeah. Um, that's my uh, interpretation take from 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 them being informed and yeah. uh, making the right choices.
Yes. Uh, so, so I think on such matter, when it really comes to the point, for example, COVID, um, we really have to be quite des- uh, desertive or um, be, be certain about this is the right thing to do and this is the data. It might be misleading from a social science point of view. We're only showing the statistics that we want people to see. Um, but I believe that if we only show people the statistics, for example, the case number, hospitalization number and death rates, we, we show them, but people are only going to focus on case numbers. Exactly. Because the government didn't issue any guidelines on we should also look at hospitalization and death yeah. rates. Whereas for the vaccine, um, the government always emphasizes on the effective rate and focuses on um, what kind of protection they can offer, but rarely even tell people the statistics on side effects, which I believe that you read the paper. So yeah, I did. Um, so I, I, I think it's effective to be biased or give people the heuristics when reading the statistics, but also um, it's effective. And but how, however, when we actually offer people the different statistics and just let them choose it in the case of the case number, hospitalization, and death rates, people are gonna focus on the ones they're gonna easy easily understand and are yeah. mostly shocking in the sense that oh 25k. Twenty-five thousand—it's a, a, a massive number. The ones that are gonna give them the most emotional response is the is the number they're gonna stick with them. And maybe like you have like you know eight death rates or like eight deaths um, related to COVID. Death is very emotional, but it's someone they don't know, right? And I think you know, the number eight is very small, so it's not gonna invoke that yeah. much. Yeah, go on. Yeah, I I think. Yeah, that's that's actually very funny. Like I was thinking, well, can government somehow try to frame this situation in a different way so people can be more yeah frame it yeah because the nudge know, unit <laughs> yeah because I, I I constantly remember you know back to last year's March or say like say May or summer in general mm-hmm. if we can just have a look at the total testing you know compared to today's it's a drastic change you know yeah. now we're doing so many like i think it's like thousands like even millions like testing i think it's hundreds of thousands of tests yes hundreds but but you know last year like all testing equipment are not you know sufficient yeah. enough and it's not quick enough but now yeah. what what we got we got you know lateral flow home testing kit so yeah. it's like wonderful like everyone can get tested and self-reported so the cases obviously you know can go up because of that we're testing yeah. more that's why we got more cases but sample well, size is way larger yeah the sample size is larger so that's that's something people barely notice like as you said eventually you offer all these you know statistics they'll always just pick the easiest one which can trigger so much emotional response and yeah. that's very funny because you, 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 you talk to you talk about it but I never actually thought about it why people would do that like why is it because it's some sort of like confirmation bias or what I think I think it's not only a confirmation bias and yeah. uh, it's also I think it come comes back to our economic concept mm-hmm. um, um, it's I, I, I read it in the book called the narrative economics um, so basically it says that narratives, are the viruses narratives can transmit and uh, and the reason why they're very contagious and um, stuff is that people ch- people love to hear about narratives people he- love to hear about those stories mm-hmm. and uh, those emotional numbers so for example when you meet a friend today and you say oh my god look at the testing number it's a hundred thousand today that's no news. That's not interesting at all. That mm-hmm. narrative is not contagious. Yes. It's not going to get transmitted. It's not going to yep. get multiplied. However, yep. when you meet a friend, you have to, oh my God, everywhere else is like only 100 cases today. But look at UK, it's 20,000 cases today. Oh my God. 
that triggers emotional responses. Mm-hmm. And that's an interesting story. Mm-hmm. And this narrative is contagious. It satisfies all the criteria. So it gets transmitted like a vir- virus. So everyone started talking about 20,000 cases in the UK. Well, as I don't know, you're not going to meet someone who says, oh, my God, we have eight deaths today. Oh, my God, we had 20 hospitalizations today. It doesn't get transmitted. It's not contagious. Yeah. So it also explains, um, I, think, I believe. I think somehow we do need a very strong or, say, powerful context to create imagination in, you know, humans' brain so they can have a little bit fun with themselves. Uh, I'm just yeah. trying to make fun of it. Um, yeah. What uh, I think there's contagion yeah. thing. Um, you also can be very dangerous um, to be used improperly. So the spreading of propaganda and whatever. Uh, that, all, that, that comes back to what I wanted to talk about, the mm-hmm. view about That's COVID in, 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 in the East and the West. So mm-hmm. when I, I, it's actually very interesting. Um, luckily, I don't have a lot of Chinese friends or, um, yeah. So when I tell them I have COVID and their response drastically different than the ones that my, in, in the West, my European friends, so when I tell my Chinese friends about COVID, uh, they're gonna send uh, WTF, WTF, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. And, um, and then repeat WTF in Chinese again. It's as if I'm gonna die tomorrow or something. But if I tell that to my British friends or European friends, it's like, hope you'll get well soon. If you need anything, let me know. It's a very calm and responsible and also warming um, response, I would say. If you need anything, let me know. Get well soon. It's not like, oh my God, you're gonna die tomorrow. And all my Chinese friends just like, they, they, I, I think oh, they kind of treat I, me as a novelty, like I, some I, kind of exhibition in the zoo or like in the museum or whatever. Or this I, person I'm sorry, really like, sorry yeah. I can't help laughing, but at the same time, I felt sorry yeah. for what you experienced. Cause, you know what, I was actually about to say, like, have you received any message from your friends, you know, saying, how are you feeling? But, you know, at the same time, they're just trying to understand the real impact of COVID and then try to think if they should come to the UK this September. Because a lot of Oh, yeah, yeah, they're, they're, they're definitely doing that. They're definitely doing that. Um, so, so, um, so, so um, pl- please, please do let me finish. Uh, you, you will come back to this uh, being contagious thing. Yeah, so, so most of the questions being, um, is it, or do you think it's a certainty that I come to the UK and I will get COVID? I was like, you know, what universe is that a certainty? I was like, I, I, I don't know, what kind of news have you been reading about? And also, uh, they keep checking, so when I tell them it's not that serious, because I have my fact thing, it's not that serious, it's just basic, I, I, I have code that's way worse. And just like, do you cough? I'm like, I don't cough. And like, do you have a fever? I, like, I don't have a fever. Like, no, you must be lying. You must have a fever. I was like, why am I lying to you about I don't have a fever? So they don't even believe me when I'm telling them it's a chill. It's relatively not as, as nasty as, as advertised. But by no means, I'm not saying it's like, you should just be reckless, but you know, to disclaim yeah, again. Yeah, but I, I, what I'm saying is that the kind of narrative been spreading in China is very, very different than the narrative in spreading in the UK. So they think COVID is like, once you get it, you're going to die. And they think that everyone else in the UK or in the Europe, it's, it's, a, it's still like a very, very serious pandemic here everywhere. Uh, the case number is so high. So the narrative they've been hearing, the contagious narrative they're having at the moment is that um, we're still at the epidemic center. Um, it's a very deadly disease. Vaccine doesn't work. Once you get it, you're gonna get seriously ill. And even if I tell them it's not the case, not believe it because they already bought into the narrative, the contagious narrative. So I find that very interesting because that being fed with different narrative 
or listen to different kind of things, reading different things, you're going to have a very, very different point of view about certain something. And that's just COVID. Imagine about, imagine something about religion, something about politics, or a point of view about something, um, I don't know, more closely related to life and death. The story you hear and the story that your friends spread and just the kind of uh, environment you live in really determines your point of view about everything, um, which I find kind of sad and also, um, I don't know, also kind of uh, understandable in the meantime. This, this come, comes back to what I was saying, uh, the support, you know, surrounding support. So I had a very particular experience during quarantine. So I happened to meet this girl, you know, she is Asian and um, she happened to, you know, come to the kitchen. I was cooking, wearing my mask. And uh, I, you know, I was being nice and I told her, um, maybe we should stay away a bit. I got COVID. And what she responded really shocked me. She just ran away without saying any word. It's, more, oh, really? it's just like, yeah, it's just pretty much the same as your friend saying WTF when they heard that you got COVID. Like, they're not being supportive enough. Like, when I talked to my other friends, you know, they were like, you know, say, do you want anything? Like, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably go to now waitress and get you some groceries. Like, just, just yeah. call me if you need anything. Like, th like they're not afraid of you know. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> like let's just be straightforward. Like they, they're not seeing me as some you know, lab rat. Like, oh, yeah. how are you feeling? Like, yeah, you know, exactly. Try... <laughs> and uh, when I called my mom, my mom said, "Please don't tell other people you have you ever had it." That's what I told you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so my mom said, don't tell other people you had it. I was like, why? Like, my friend, they are my friend. They should know. Or like, whatever. And my mom said, you're going to be discriminated because um, you had it. I was like, what the hell? Like, I can't, I can't, I can't understand it. And then my mom told me a story. That, um, so basically in China, if your parents had it, your kid is going to get discriminated in kindergarten or like at school only because your parents had it. That's how afraid or what kind of narrative they've been heard. Wow. Well, I mean, I mean, well, if, I mean, honestly, if that was true, I, I really don't know what yeah. you say. I really don't know what you yeah. say, to be honest. Yeah. My mom's like, don't tell your Chinese friends. I, I was like, I don't, I don't talk to a lot of Chinese friends anyways. <laughs> I was like, uh, if they, if they are Asian or whatever, don't don't tell them you ever had it because they're gonna treat you differently, or whatever. I was very shocked when I heard that, and also very sad about it, because uh, also echoing your experiences with like people running away from you, literally. Um, it's, uh, it's it's almost like a shame that you ever had it. It was never my fault. I mean, I was following the government guidelines, so when I go out, I um, I mean. In open spaces, I don't really bother with the masks anymore because like fresh air and indoor on a tube when it's a, when it's a waitrose or like a, when it's a supermarket <laughs> or like when it's like a shop or whatever, I wear always wear my masks. Yeah, just like and sanitize my hands. So I don't feel guilty getting it because I'm reckless or whatever. I'm following the guideline being a responsible citizen. So I don't understand why it should anyone should be ashamed of it and when my mom told me that I was really shocked and I believe her because I, 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 I really can see where it came from and because um, um, also it comes back to HIVs and uh, if you have a HIV, HIV in China maybe in Western society you can function as a normal um, human being but whereas in China you have HIV or HIV virus carrier you've pretty much been treated differently everywhere. Um, yeah, uh, that experience was also very shocking to me, yeah. I, th I think what you just described has risen from a simple, you know, epidemiological uh, issue to a societal one, like, 
which generally describes how social problem you know evolve like it really really shocked me honestly like this whole discrimination thing like and and also yeah. the 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 attitude um the very indifferent and the very um i don't know it, it's it's really a very sad thing i would say oh i think your mom made, made a good point actually that's what i was about to tell you like a lot of friends who ask me how you feel it's not because yeah. they care about me yeah what? exactly that's what i feel as well they don't care about me they just want to know that if they get it or whatever they're not gonna die i can feel i can feel that part of the question they, they don't care about how i feel at the moment they just want to make sure <laughs> i i have this guy we were you know actually he is also a management student like same as us and yeah. like last time i talked to him like 2019 october yeah. or something today yeah. all of a sudden i received a message from him saying how are you feeling uh have you recovered from covid and i thought oh why are you being so sweet at this moment you know like i'm already like you know I was You're like fully very recovered, Mike. <laughs> very confused. Then the next moment, I realized, oh my gosh, those people like just treat me as yeah. some COVID rats. Like, see, yeah. oh, how are you feeling today? And uh, is COVID severe or not? Like, oh my gosh, yeah. are you are you serious? Like, oh, so they're I using us as a benchmark to to gauge is it okay to come to the UK before the next academic year. You know, um, when I figured yeah. that out, I was trying to reply him with some very scary message. Oh, I'm actually still, you know, having very severe symptoms. I, I feel yeah. so sick every day. I feel so nauseous. I can't eat anything. I actually, I, I actually think that's what they want to hear. Yes. I think that's what they want to hear. Because uh, when, I, when I tell my friends, like, I didn't cough. I'm, I'm, I, yeah, I was fine. Yeah. Was not I don't very believe severe. you. I don't believe so you. Like, well, are you sure? and stuff like that i think i think they already been fed with the wrong narrative they just want more confirmation bias they just want more confirmation that they're right yeah and when i when you feed them with knowledge or information that they do not agree with they actually don't wish to hear that and in like which translates into they wish me to feel worse. <laughs> they had like a very worse COVID experiences. Oh, I mean, I'm like, oh, actually, I see you. They actually wish to hear that. <laughs> uh, but it's like a, it's a, like a subtle curse. Uh, yeah, so. Very, very, very interesting responses from different, different worlds. So when, so politically, uh, and people say that um, you know the east and the west probably going to have more differences in lots of uh, in lots of areas. I mean, COVID kind of perfectly manifested that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Shall we? Shall we try to have a, like a conclusion or stuff and wrap it up and shit? Yeah. Yeah. Conclusion. How long has it been? Wow. How long has it been? It's been like, wow. Yeah, it's more than an hour. Yeah, yeah, it has been. I think very... it's a decent length, decent length for one episode. I think. Indeed, yeah. indeed, I, I enjoy the conversation very much. Yeah, it's very. Yeah, wow. yeah it very interesting. Very the end was like uh, highlight. I think. <laughs> yeah, indeed, indeed. Uh, yeah, I think I think the takeaway I want people to take is that. So if you if you ever have it, if if you unfortunately caught COVID, please do not be afraid. It's not as nasty as advertised. Because think about statistically, television, newspapers, they're not gonna show people who have COVID and are fine and, and they're recovered. It's not worth a story. It's not worth the time for BBC. So they're only gonna show the people who had serious symptoms and um, serious illness um, from COVID, which by all means are real. And because of those cases, which means that it can happen 
serious symptoms can happen. So don't take COVID lightly, don't be reckless, still follow the government guidelines. But if you unfortunately caught it, it's not as scary. Just have a good mindset. Um, take some symptom relief medicines, call up your GP and ask for what's the best symptom relief medicine for your case and consider your existing health conditions and stuff like that. And drink plenty of fluids and rest well. That's my advice women give. So you always feel like you, your mouth is very dry and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So we, we, we just like two unfortunate um, people that um, had to experience with it and recover from it. So we sharing our experiences with it and also sharing our, because um, uh, we all have international background. So we're going to share so we were just like sharing our experiences with our uh, Chinese and Asian friends and our European friends, their responses yeah. and for them are quite interesting and different systems and stuff. Yeah, hopefully it's gonna be useful material for some um, social science students, um, research or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I hope there will be some research on it. Yeah, that'd be nice. Yeah, it's, it's, actually, it's actually very, very interesting. So, the social responses and yeah. all stuff. And I wish myself the best uh, to getting my sense of smell back. <laughs> oh yeah, I miss, yeah, I miss the yeah. real taste yeah. of the burger, yeah. Oh yeah, when you can just taste it, you can't smell it, it's just weird. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> all right. And, and all my investments in perfumes. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, I, I hope everyone enjoyed this episode. If you're still with yep. us till right now, I really appreciate it. And uh, we're going to try to make um, two episodes every month. It's going to be one episode every two weeks. Um, we're going to talk about um, well, our life experiences and also some, we're going to prepare a topic. This one was on COVID. And we're going to prepare the next top, um, topic. Uh, hope you enjoyed. Hope it's helpful in some way. Right? Yeah. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you guys. And I'm going to end the recording here. All right.